0: Rise. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brenna Store. I'm Paul Bestel, and this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in, this is episode number 113, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? I am walking again. I'm very happy about that. I'm glad to hear it. Yes, listeners. (laughs) uh, I, I fell down go boom. It was literally the day after we recorded the last episode. I should say rather the the day we recorded the last episode, I went to the gym for the first time in months and it was wonderful. And then the next day uh, I was, I eventually fell asleep on the couch and because I can be weird like this, I fell asleep in possibly the worst position anyone has ever fallen asleep in. And then about three in the morning, I was awoken by the sound of one of my cats preparing for battle. I know the sound. It's a bad sound. Now, of course you know Nikki is she's doing much better now she but she had surgery a few weeks ago and at this point you know two weeks ago she still really needed to rest and she she shouldn't be doing anything strenuous she should be getting lots of sleep so my my job has been to you know make meals and bring her stuff and and on this particular evening it was to like go run interference so the dumbass cat doesn't get into a fight and and a get himself hurt and b keep her keep her awake Hmm. so I I spring to action from my position on the couch not realizing that the awkward way I had fallen asleep uh, had caused my leg to go to sleep as well. (laughs) So I jump up to deal with the cat and my left leg just crumpled underneath me like a crisps bag, just (laughs) crunch. (laughs) Human Jenga. It really was, yeah, and I lost. And (laughs) at first I thought I'd escaped more or less unscathed. However... After spending a lot of time sitting down on Sunday to edit the show, I started to have trouble and that trouble, uh, was in my ankle and that trouble ended up with me at uh, emergency because I couldn't get into a walk-in clinic and finding out that yes, I had in fact moderately sprained my ankle. So, uh, so yeah, less, the lesson there is, I don't know, don't have cats, don't go to the gym, don't sleep on the couch, take your lesson, take whatever you want. <laughs> Holy shit. I spent... I don't know. I spent almost five days on the couch because I just, I literally couldn't, I couldn't put any weight on my left, on my left foot. You know, I I went from, uh, I went from, you know, going back to the gym, pumping iron to crawling to the bathroom. So it it was a real lesson in humility, if nothing else.
1: (laughs) Well, at least I cheered you up with some of my comedy injuries. So you're not alone.
0: This is true. This is, yep. This is absolutely, I, I knew if anyone had, had comic wounds, it would be Paul Bestel.
1: I remember I used to have a bad back and I once slipped at the top of my stairs and, and the way I fell, knocked my back back into place.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but that's amazing.
1: Yeah, we had a cursed flight of stairs and uh, everybody who came to our house, especially men, would fall, fall down these stairs at some point And uh, we had denim streaks on the walls where people had fallen ass over <laughs> tit down the uh, down the stairs and scraped their knees on the wall as they fell down and I had a friend who had survived 11 years without falling down these stairs and two days before we moved he fell down the stairs oh and we
0: laughed
2: <laughs> of course you did because <laughs> you're
0: sons of bitches absolutely yeah welcome to the club so maybe I just needed to beat the shit out of my leg who, who knows Paul I don't know if I've got a real good moral to the story but uh... <laughs>
1: well strange things happen like that so sometimes you need an extreme an extreme response to an extreme
0: situation that's exactly it and on today's show we've got some extreme situations all right we have some fantastic listener stories with some truly truly harrowing shit including a one possibly the only occasion i know of where a cat may have actually saved uh, intentionally saved someone's life by simply Mm -hmm. pinning them down so I am looking forward to getting to those before we do though, we have a musical guest on this show. I'm very excited. Uh, they're in fact, a listener. Uh, this was sent in to me by Lisa and the band is damn good liars. And the song is I'm not a psychopath. It's from their brand new EP, uh, also titled damn good liars. And you can find that anywhere you stream your music. And, uh, yeah, again, Lisa's a listener to the show. I really quite enjoy the EP. Yeah, only four songs, but um, they actually recorded this during the worst of the pandemic. And I got to say hats off to you, Alisa and company, for being able to create something beautiful in, in what is, you know, hopefully the worst time of our lives. Hopefully.
1: Let's see what this UFO report says first.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, this will be released after that. So if, if Paul <laughs> seems real sad the next time you see him, that's why. <laughs> hey there. This will undoubtedly come as no surprise to any of you. Paul and I got so distracted talking to each other we forgot to thank our patrons. So, I am going to do that now.
2: This one's for the patrons.
0: That's right, patrons. None of this happens without you. You are part of a sweet, exclusive club. And by God, we appreciate every single one of you. Past and present. Doesn't matter. You guys are the bees fucking knees. Now I'd like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Lindsay Telerico, Noxvox, Cosmic Moxie, and Tracy's Sunny Whited. You guys make this all possible, so thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts, and to the rest of you, well I like you too, but you're missing out. Alright, now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before we get to the stories, as always, we want to dive into the mailbag and see what you guys have to say, because, well, talking to you guys is kind of the point of the show. I mean, I I like talking to Paul fine, but we can just do that on the phone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Like, it's a prison (laughs) sentence. Like, oh, fuck, he keeps calling no matter how many times I changed my number.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I forgot to stop using my ghost force voice.
0: (laughs) That comes later. That comes later. Yeah. Sorry, I I peaked too early. Story of my life. (laughs) Think about baseball cards, Paul. Baseball cards. (laughs) Rugby. There you go. Think about rugby. Cricket. There there we go. We'll be fine for hours.
1: (laughs) Television paranormal
0: shows. (laughs) No, that'll kill. Anyways, let's just (laughs) move on. Move on. So, yes, so we've got some email. And the first comes from Melissa. Melissa says, This is my first time writing in, and I wanted to send you an email about your newest episode, which is 112 The Gnome Watcher. I was listening to it at work, as I usually do, and you guys started to talk about people seeing a lumberjack man specifically in red and black plaid, and this was the first time I've ever heard of anybody talking about it. This instantly made me gasp, and made it very hard to focus. When I was 12 years old all the way to about 16, I had clear hallucinations of regular people going about everyday things in our family home. They never had any negative energy or did anything weird. They just sat on the couch or walked around. The only thing weird was that they had glowing yellow eyes. What shocked me when you said red and black plaid was the only hallucination that had a distinct reoccurring feature was a lumberjack looking man, specifically in a red and black checkered jacket. The visions of the people mainly happened during the day and only ever in our family home, and over the years the hallucinations faded, losing their clarity, and eventually turned into dark figures, then only showed up in the corner of my eye, and then nothing. Another thing that would happen was I would feel things lightly brush against me, or one time I even felt something gently stroke my hair, but again nothing was ever bad feeling or negative. I never had any auditory hallucinations either. After some counseling and MRI scans and such, the doctors eventually dulled everything down to simply my brain going through an active time of development as I was at a crucial age for that. I'm now 24 and haven't had any hallucinations since, and I've also beaten anxiety and panic attacks. Good for you. I've always been someone more in tune with things, being able to read energy and have even been able to read people's thoughts, especially my mom's. One theory I came up with as I got older was perhaps I was seeing people living in another dimension, but in the same house. Who knows? Bottom line is I'm shaken to hear I'm not the only one who seems to have seen this lumberjack man. One thing I can say is I avoid jackets with that color and pattern to this day because it makes me uneasy. And Melissa, thank you for sharing that. That is really, really cool. And I, I think... I think she might be on to something. But I, and I, I know dimensions is such an abused word. And I know there are, you know, people with science backgrounds listening to the show clutching their ears in horror at the moment. But <laughs> I, I do think there is something to that. You know, if, if not a dimension, then a, a, maybe a time thing. You know, we've talked about like the permeability of, of time. And um, yeah, that is, that is super fascinating. Did, did you have any thoughts?
1: Well, I think it's interesting as well that obviously this is at that age where a lot of phenomenon tends to occur for certain people um right but that's quite an unusual aspect to it that she's got these people wandering about with glowing eyes that's something i'm not aware of happening or being reported too often um and maybe she is glimpsing into something In it would be interesting because i've often thought about the opposite reaction to that is are there people wandering around that house looking (laughs) at seeing somebody laid on a settee
0: yeah you know, someone from either, I say, a, a different time or, or something like that. The eyes thing, you mentioned that, and, and I think you're right. I think that's significant. You wonder if maybe, you you know how um, an animal, when you shine the light into their eyes, you get the eye shine. Yeah. Right? So, I'm wondering if what she was seeing was some kind of eye shine that had more to do with uh, the way they were visible. Yeah. You know, maybe there's something about the eyes that, and and maybe there's some spectrum. Again, we talk a lot about like invisible spectrum of light because you know there's a lot of light we don't see, but yeah. maybe there's something about that spectrum of light that produces this kind of eye shine. Hmm. And maybe when she, when they see her, maybe they see the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that the thing that seems to have stuck with her uh, the longest that still makes her feel uneasy is
0: obviously that coloration. Oh, the the jacket. You mean the black and black and hmm. red. Yeah, well, that's come up so much. We had so many people write in talking about that, Mm -hmm. you know, having their own experiences with that. I I do think there's got to be something about it. Definitely. Exactly what, who knows, but uh, yeah. Well, again, thank you very much, Melissa. Next one is from Krista and Krista says, on the show today, episode 108, you discussed Jonestown, the discussion involved a person not being able to process a situation. Both of you expressed that you understood how that could happen. It made me think about a weird sticking point I've discovered. I currently live about 40ish minutes from Lynn, Indiana. Lynn is the place that spawned Jim Jones. Mm. Yeah. Google says 43, but rural Indiana is weird with GPS. I can't bring myself to drive the relatively straight shot from my town to there to get an accurate distance. I keep getting a weird sense of cursed ground. I'll try to explain. The People's Temple is a subject that messes me up. I believe Jones was an actual monster. I can't hear his voice without getting sick to my stomach. I get a similar feeling whenever I think about going to or even through Lynn. I don't know what it is since I normally have a high tolerance for stuff like this. Do you folks have a similar thing? I wonder how common this is among those of us with an interest in the creepy. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think?
1: It, well, it's, it's a very unusual reaction. However, I, I think Jones is one of those people that I, I still don't think people, that many people know that much or the actual realization of what went on at Jonestown. How so? Because I think it's one of those things where when you talk about the people's temple and and Jonestown and things like that, people go, oh yeah, yeah, mad preacher. I don't think they comprehend exactly the, the level of mania that was on display there. I mean, you know, you're talking over what, 900, over 900 people committing suicide or, well, some of them committed suicide. A lot of people were forced to commit suicide.
0: I was going to say, yeah, a lot of them did not have an option.
1: Um, So I still don't think in this day, now, I mean, what is it, 40, 40 odd years ago? When was it? 78? And I think it's one of those things. I think because it happened before the birth of, of rolling news coverage and the internet, I think it's one of those things that perhaps happened right at the end of of stories like that simply happening and then drifting away. You know, if you compare it to, say, something like Heaven's Gate, I would say more people know about the Heaven's Gate cult than what happened at Jonestown.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um,
1: But I've got a very similar experience that a few, well, about 15 years ago I did a tour of Scotland and went around a few places, and we went to Glencoe. We were supposed to stay there two nights, and it was the most uncomfortable evening I've ever spent in a haunted location. Nothing happened. I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't sleep. I didn't feel comfortable. I wasn't happy there. And we, we checked out the following morning and went somewhere else. Really? Mm-hmm. And what, what's the story with,
0: is there, is there a story there?
1: Uh, yeah. The uh, English uh, massacred loads of Scottish there.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Uh, it was a, uh, it was supposed to be a big, big battle and, and the English, used tactics and basically channeled them all into a valley and just massacred them and then hunted them down and killed them as they tried to escape. It was a beautiful, beautiful time of year. The sun was shining. The weather was fabulous. It was really nice. People were really friendly. I just felt horribly uncomfortable from from the moment I arrived there. Just didn't like it at all. It It just didn't sit well with me, and I can't tell you why.
0: Interesting. I know I, when I responded to Krista um, recently w- via email, the only sort of immediate c- comparison I could think of in my own life was, well, there were two of them. The one was um, when I was, uh, in 2012, I went down to Lind, Washington for the Harvest Combine Demolition Derby, uh, which was a blast, I got to say. you want to watch farm equipment crash into each other? There's no better place. Okay. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. I actually, I have, I still have, a, I still have a, my t-shirt. 25 years of crash of smashes and cheers. <laughs> but, um, we were walking through Lind after the parade. Yeah, Cause it, it, opens with a parade and, um, there was a, a house and it was an abandoned house on a, you know, suburban street. There was nothing special about it aside from the fact it was shuttered, but it hurt, not physically hurt, but it still hurt. If if that makes sense. Mm. it hurt to literally hurt my eyes to look at it mm. and I don't know why there was nothing wrong with it aside from the fact it was just a little dilapidated but it hurt to look at it mm. and uh, the only other offhand one I could think of was when I went to the museum of death in Los Angeles yeah and the very first room when you go in and and you know as things slowly go back to normal if you love weird shit and you haven't been to the museum of death in Los Angeles I, I recommend you go my mother my mother's fucking weird. She <laughs> loved that place. Yeah. Just loved it. I ended up sitting outside for an hour and just laying down on the bench out there. and She just hung out, wandering around. She was in clover. But, um, this <laughs> strange little lady. Yeah.
1: Don't they have
0: a uh, Heaven's Gate room there? They do,
1: yeah. Because they've actually got some of the, I mean, that's where, where they got that from. Because they've got an original tracksuit and trainers and things. It's really odd. I've seen it on a documentary.
0: I think they've got one of the cloths they used on their face too. But like, <sighs> then they have like, like, a, like a kind of a purple cloth they laid over their yes. faces? Yeah, that was the yeah.
1: transformation cloth.
0: There we go. Of course, how could I forget? <laughs> the Could've transformation on that cloth. Oh boy. But uh, anyways, the first room I walked into was a serial killer art room. And the art wasn't particularly sinister, but I found it really difficult to be there. And like, I got dizzy the second I stepped into the room Yeah. and I just had to, I had to leave. And you know what? It's just occurred to me. And and I know we're going a little bit long on this particular email, but you've been listening to coast to coast for a while, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the guy who used to call in and art released to play him up? And and I don't know if, if, if it was a bit or not, but art used to say that, and people would say this guy's voice made them sick. There was a caller who would call in. And he had a like he had a very unique name, and he would call in from time to time. But everyone who listened to him, as I remember, they f- would a lot of the people would feel queasy hearing his voice.
1: Oh, I know he, I know what you mean. I can't remember his name, but he, yeah, he was he had that r- really weird way of speaking.
0: Yeah, if if anyone out there, if you know what we're talking about, uh, I mean a lot of you this is gonna be before you, but uh, yeah, if you know, let let us know. Go at gmail dot com because that just that just flooded back to me, and I. I would love to know more about that guy. If it, again, if it was just a bit or if they ever even figured out who it was. Yeah. So uh, the thing, again, thank you very much, Krista. And, and just to cap this off, um, I never shared this on the show and, and hopefully Mel doesn't mind me saying this, but after we talked about Jonestown, I was contacted by Mel from uh, finances, the other F word. And um, she was saying that, uh, I'm just, I've got the email here. She said, uh, my father's a veteran out of the Air Force. After Jonestown was discovered, he was part of the military operation who was sent in to clean up the bodies. They would smear spearmint in their masks to block out the smell. And he said to this day, if he smells spearmint, he wants to throw up. So it's talk about like associations. That would, that would be a terrible one to have. Mm. It's funny. I thought this was going to be a short intro, Paul. I'm so silly.
1: (laughs) Well, they're good. They're good. And, uh, thought provoking
0: correspondence. That's true. Very true. We, we, we have a great fucking audience. You know that we really do. I I love doing this fucking show. Alright, next one comes from Megan. I've been meaning to send you this story for a while now, and I've just paused your latest episode as you mentioned something that rings in my story. The forgetting of hauntings. My partner and I had been on the receiving end of a haunting. He was being woken up in the night to someone yelling his name, and I was experiencing the most awful, violent nightmares, despite being on medication that that sedates me heavily and is designed to prevent dreaming to dampen my PTSD symptoms. As all good stories start, we completely ignored it and put it down to life and sleepy nothings. Then one afternoon as I napped alone, I woke up suddenly as I felt what seemed like being smacked in the face with a board. It was as painful as it was petrifying. That's fucking scary, man. Ugh. Being the little hippie which I am, we sense, we went straight to the occult store and bought rocks, incense, and anything I could think of. Good for you. I painted protective sigils on our door and spent the rest of the evening doing cleansing and protective rituals through our home. I've spoken often about this with friends and family, and even my partner, and every single time it takes several minutes and a lot of information for my partner to remember this incident, even though it built up over weeks. I've never heard of this strange amnesia before, so as soon as you mentioned it, I needed to do an us two email. I'm really glad you wrote in because, yeah, that is such a common thing, the whole selective memory thing around these things. There's one story which I've I've talked about many, many times, but it's in my book. *The strange little place. Available everywhere. Fine books are sold. There's a story called Just Around the Bend and there's a family who had a, a weird experience of shared dread as they drove this particular part of a road and um, they stopped halfway around this, this bay because the dread was just unbearable, turned around and, uh, and went back to their hotel mm. and they're apparently very open with everything but for whatever reason, whenever they wanted to remember this story, it would just, it would go. It, it it was really difficult for them all to remember it together, and and I do think there is like a an immune like response.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a protective aspect to this, rather than it being some kind of forced amnesia. I think the brain is is a, is a wonderful organ that will often try its best to protect us when even when we
0: don't realize it, and I think that has a lot to do with it. So, uh, thank you again, Megan. And And again, good on you and your partner for just getting on top of that shit and not being shy about it and just going to get the rocks and the sigils and because why not, right? At, at worst, well, you wasted a few bucks. But at best, as I say, you you've claimed your space back. And as as much as a proponent as I am of you know the idea of the white light and stuff like this, there sometimes that's not enough. You know, sometimes wishing doesn't do it, and you need outside help. and. You did it, and yeah, I just think, good on you. And so this last one comes from William. William says, I am
1: writing as I, or more accurately my brother, experienced something similar to what Paul reported about gnomes back when we were kids. Through elementary school, we lived in an older house our parents had purchased from our grandparents. Our friends all considered it spooky, which was fun. One year at Christmas time." probably when I was around fifth grade and my brother was in the third, he told me that during the night he had been woken by noise and left our room and entered the living room, where he saw little red and green men running and jumping all over a large old puffy chair. I don't know how old it was, but this was the 70s and the chair and the couch set were kind of a Dijon dark mustard colour with images of farming scenes all over them. When my brother told me, I pretty much just dismissed it and told him he was confused by Christmas lights on the tree, even though I'd had my own strange experience in that room, probably around the same year, which from your show, I now know I experienced a Vardiger. Anyhow, fast forward 30 years. My brothers and I were back together for a trip with our families and our mother in October, which of course led to ghost stories. I told mine and then told my brother to tell his story about the chair. Before he could respond, my mother immediately asked if he had seen the old man. Apparently, she frequently saw an old man sitting in that chair. My brother and I never witnessed that, but interestingly, that we had all had our own experiences about that room
0: and possibly that chair. So thank you so much, William, for sharing that with us. And obviously, if if you haven't heard episode 112, The Gnome Watcher, the title of, of the episode refers to an experience Paul had where you watched, it was almost like a projection on the wall, you said. Yes, yeah,
1: like a documentary of gnomes.
0: Yeah, but it was almost like they were being observed in real time without realizing they were being observed. Yeah, it was like I was watching a secret camera. So weirdly, I was talking about this to a friend of mine and she mentioned to me that when her sister and her used to hang out on Pender Island with their parents when they were kids, and, and Pender Island is one of the small Gulf islands off of, off of Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one that has mojo that I really, I, Nick used to like go into this one cabin there when we could back when, you know, such things were within the reach of, of human means. Mm-hmm. And I hated Pender Island. There's something about it I find very unpleasant. Yeah. Um, there's an energy to it, but my friend said her sister, when they were kids, she would talk about playing with little men on the chair. They were like, they were like dancing little men. And she always thought it was just, ah, just a story, but, you know, maybe not, you know, since, since we know, we now have multiple stories of this and it just so happened, I was able to run this by an actual psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's asked to remain anonymous for obvious reasons, but yeah, I sort of, I had occasion to cross this guy's path, uh, digitally. And mm-hmm. so I presented him the various, the story you, you've just heard listeners, so Paul's story and, and a William's story. Because I thought, well, you know, I've got an opportunity here because if there is a, a mundane psychological explanation, maybe that'll explain this thing. And this, if anyone would know, it'd be this guy, right? Because this is, this is his field. And I was really surprised by his answer. And, and I think you guys will be too. So this, this is what I was told. True hallucinations can be based on environmental features that are mistaken for something else, which is a possible explanation for some shadow men. The idea being that maybe headlights from a car passing by are causing a moving shadow that is interpreted incorrectly. Some people who see such things frequently do better if a low, diffuse light is put in their room so that bright shadows are not cast. Similarly, I know of someone who would see a woman in orange bending over him at night. It turned out his bedroom had a large picture of orange California poppies, which are the state flower. When the picture was moved to another room, he he didn't experience that issue anymore. However, he says, in Paul's story and the other story you've presented, there doesn't really seem to be something there to be misinterpreted. Interestingly, there is a type of dementia where people experience frequent and vivid hallucinations, often of people or people-like things. It's called Lewy body disease. It is fairly common that they see short people, elves, aliens, etc. It's not really clear why the hallucinations tend to be short, and that's not always the case. But I can say that Paul and the person from this other story don't have that dementia. One link is that they both saw it as children, but I'm not really sure what that means other than they might be more willing or open to see things. And again, I, I thought it was important to share that because I think there is that skeptical point of view that's tends to say, oh, well, it's just a hallucination. It's just a this. And so asking someone who would know better mm-hmm. if that's the case, and, and as I said, both your case and the case of, uh, of William, there's just nothing there to indicate that.
1: Yeah. And I was in a back bedroom as well. It wasn't near the road.
0: Yeah, there you go. And, and it'd be hard for uh, you know, passing headlights to mimic uh, little men frolicking on a wall for hours.
1: Well, exactly. Yeah. That, that, you know, like the strange, that's the strangest thing about it is, is it was a very clear and distinct image that went on for a considerable length of time.
0: Yeah. So again, no answers, but really fascinating questions. And uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in there were more, but again, these are the ones we wanted to share. This has already gone on way longer than I expected. Um, <laughs> but it's just such interesting stuff. We, we couldn't help ourselves. And if you want to get in touch, if you want to send a story or just comment about the show, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. I read everything you send. We don't respond to everybody, but that's just because I'm bad at keeping up with correspondence, but understand we, we do read everything that you send. And of course you can call the ghost line at one Now, on with the stories. The New Desert, from Joe. All through my teenage years, I used to ride my horse in the empty areas of my neighborhood. It was a rural community, designed for horse property, on the edge of the Mojave Desert. There are buttes dotted throughout the area and any empty space was just as likely to have a large outcropping of rocks on a slight hill or protected Joshua trees as it was to just have scrub brush and dirt. The area that I used to ride in most frequently was the foothills of one particular butte side by side with the housing tract where you could walk out the end of a cul-de-sac and right into semi-preserved desert wildland. It wasn't very big, less than ten square acres. You could run from one side to the other in just a few minutes. Now, uh, you could, Joe. You you could. And not far from civilization. My friends and I played there all the time and were intimately familiar with the area. Saturday mornings were prime riding and hiking time, and over the years I came across a number of fun things in that butte, including crews filming for movies and TV. I watched some people film extreme motorsports, scenes for the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and even a music video for U2's Joshua Tree. If you are familiar with Joss Whedon's Firefly series, the Battle of Serenity Valley was filmed right there in the buttes by my house, as were all the scenes set on the planet where Patience the Cattle Rustler lived. All of that is to say that this little area of desert wilderness is well-traveled and not deep in the middle of nowhere, and certainly not very mysterious. But one day while horseback riding, when I was about 15, I came across a path I did not recognize. Winding through that area of the buttes is what looked like a dry riverbed, with sand different than the desert dirt around it, and it's not uncommon for that riverbed to be sunken into the ground, the way it would be if it still held running water. But on this day, this riverbed was not where I was used to seeing it. Since it looked different, I followed it, but for some reason, on this day, instead of a fairly straight path, it seemed to curve, winding like a snake through an area that was suddenly denser in trees and brush than I remembered. The sides of the riverbed were slowly increasing in height. The width of this little riverbed started out around ten feet across, but as the sides grew taller, it also grew narrower, until I could touch either side of the walls with my outstretched hands, and even on horseback it was taller than my head now, so I couldn't see out of it. The narrower the passage got, the more spooked my horse was, but I was overcome with curiosity, so I urged her to keep going. The winding curves were getting so acute that I couldn't see more than a dozen feet ahead of me. Then, all of a sudden, we went around one last corner and reached a dead end. It looked like what I imagined a dry waterfall would look like, and I had never seen it before. The sand there was almost a glistening white, a stark contrast to the dull khaki brown of everything else in the desert. Strangest of all was that I had the distinct sensation of being watched. I tried to look around me but aside from the walls the only place to look was up. I couldn't see anything but had a desperate need to get out of there, right that second. The space was small enough that my horse had to walk backwards before we could turn around but as soon as we could we ran home. The next weekend I went looking for that spot, this time with friends, bravery in numbers, but I never did find it again. It's just impossible to lose something that big in an area that small. I wonder what might have happened if I hadn't run into a dead end. I don't know. I kind of think that um, whatever was going to happen probably was going to happen in that dead end. Mm. You know, that there is such an element of otherness there, you know? Like the fact yeah. that the horse wanted out. And I just feel like in so many cases, you know, Bob uh, says, he calls him, uh, Bob Vasquez calls him encantos. You know, said in the Philippines are called Encantos nature spirits mm. that will confuse and bewitch you, and of course you know we have our own names for them here, but it's it amounts to the same thing, and all these stories seem to really traffic in distraction
1: It's a strange one, isn't it because it's it seems so alien and and the fact that they've gone back to try and sort of corroborate the experience and it and and it's not there again is is unusual, especially when it seems to be an area that they know so well.
0: Again, I think there is an element of, of distraction, and I, and I think that had she stayed, mm-hmm. I think it would have reached, and, and of course I'm talking about my ass, I got nothing to back this up, but <laughs> I think that she would have reached a point where she couldn't leave. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think Joe, uh, and this was a listener story, um, I, I suspect, yeah, I suspect it was not about finding, what if you didn't find a dead end? I think it's what would have happened if you'd stayed in that dead end? for much longer.
1: It may have been uh, the oncoming, because the only ghost story I know about the Mojave is that there is the legend of the ghost deer. Oh, interesting. I don't know that at all. There's a giant ghost deer in the area that people have spent the best part of a century trying to catch.
0: I just think if it's a ghost deer, you're you're, you're not gonna, unless you got a proton pack, I don't think you're going to catch it. <laughs>
1: well, they say it's a ghost deer. Nobody's caught it, so I'm not really sure how they know.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, there's a lot of suppositions baked into that name. Yeah,
1: but apparently it's, in, it's enormous, it's massive, and that's what makes it stand
0: out. I just love the hubris of some people. Well, there's a massive, possibly supernatural deer, <laughs> where's my butterfly net and rifle? <laughs> and so that, that'll be uh, once, once uh, we're making real money and lockdown goes away and we'll, we'll have a, a special episode, video episode, where you and I go hunting the ghost deer and end up lost in the desert and having to eat each other's legs for sustenance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. what could go wrong hunting for something <laughs> in a desert? You are awake from Annie. I recently moved into a friend's old and very large Victorian style home. It has three full floors, and the top floor was converted to its own two bedroom flat with a fully enclosed sunroom. My one friend, Rene, has lived there for nearly her entire life whilst another friend, Shelby, grew up with Renee and spent much of her childhood inside the house as well. The main floor is occupied by Renee's wonderful mom and the basement is unoccupied and holds the laundry room. There are servant stairs that lead from the top floor to another set of stairs that lead to the basement which contains a huge and very deep cistern. Creepy, I know. The home was built around the turn of the century, and was one of the first houses built in the small Wisconsin town where we live. Shelby, by her request, moved into the sunroom, exclaiming she wanted to live in that room since she was a young girl. It doesn't have a closet, so it can't technically be considered a bedroom, but that is one factor that Shelby appreciates, as she does not like closets. She has removed the closet doors in previous bedrooms, she is a sensitive person. And feels there is an energy that isn't quite right. Renee lives in the master bedroom and leaves her door open all the time. I don't think I've ever seen it closed. The previous roommate left in a negative way and for the last couple of months had a lot of bad energy. The room was left empty for the summer and I moved in in mid September. Before moving my belongings in, I did a few minor updates painting, updating the ceiling fan, installing new electrical outlets. The first night I stayed, I felt great. Everything was completely fresh and set up and in its place. Not a single moving box in sight. My TV was hung on the wall and for some reason would not turn on. So I crawled into bed and watched some shows on my iPad before drifting off to sleep without incident. The next night, I fell asleep fast, but woke up suddenly for no apparent reason. Have you ever had that happen? where you are deep asleep and without any noise or crazy dreams. You just wake up? Well, that happened. I opened my eyes and lifted my head from the pillow to see, in the shadows before my closed closet door, a woman standing there. She was slight with long hair and a long dress or skirt. I couldn't make out a face in the darkness. I stared at the woman, looking at where her face would be, And just felt her staring back at me. Again, she wasn't faceless, that I know of, but the shadows just made it too dark to see any features. It was very heavy, her stare I mean. Even though I couldn't see, it felt like her eyes were just glaring at me. I slowly reached for the lamp beside me and the switch clicked over but wouldn't turn on, so I grabbed my phone and aimed the light to the corner. Nothing was there. I texted a message to myself and immediately fell back asleep. I don't know how, but I did. When I woke in the morning, I didn't think of anything other than getting a cup of coffee. It's like the thought of what happened in the middle of the night had vanished from my mind and I was completely unaware. Then, I looked at my phone and there was a message. It read, You are awake. And the timestamp was 3.07am. The next time I stayed at my place, my boyfriend Cole stayed with me. Nothing happened, but I randomly woke around 3am. Later I found out Shelby did the same thing. The next overnight experience really shook me. I went into my bedroom to watch TV and settle in for the night. I felt fine and truly wasn't dwelling on anything, but the energy felt off all the same. I went to sleep and was woken up by Renee's black cat Boris jumping on my bed. I knew he could sometimes get the door open, old houses don't always have the best secure door frames, and I didn't want him lingering in my bedroom, so I got out of bed and turned my light on to find him and send him on his way. As I looked under the bed, it was empty. I then looked towards my door, and it was completely shut with the heavy tissue box I used to prop it closed in front of it. The closet door was also closed. Boris was not in my room I fell back asleep and again felt him jump up on the bed doing that slow creep cats do up my body I said Boris and opened my eyes thinking I would grab him right there and remove him from my room instead of seeing his sweet furry face I was stunned when I saw a woman on top of me with a dirty looking face angry eyes and stringy long hair her mouth was wide open But no sound came out. She aggressively made a quick swipe like a swat across my stomach that felt like a burn. Then, she vanished. I'm sure the whole thing took place in a few seconds, but it was terrifying. I was wide awake and my heart was beating out of my chest. This time, I didn't just fall asleep. I was too frightened. The next day, I kept playing back what happened the anger in her eyes, her laying on top of me, everything. I left and went to my boyfriend's house and spent the day there. When I changed out of my sweatpants into my regular clothes, I felt a pain on my stomach. When I looked, there was a half-inch blister, and unless I had the beginning stages of shingles, there is no way I could have got a blister on my stomach and not known about it. Now, I have a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, and I don't have mental illness. I'm a very logical person who doesn't dabble in the occult, so none of this makes sense. And I worry it might go on Brennan's lists of, I almost didn't include this email because it seems far-fetched. And you're absolutely right. It does seem far-fetched.
0: Of course it does. Thanks for sharing that, Annie. And, and not to worry, I, I almost never exclude listener emails for those reasons, because I think we've only ever had maybe two or three listener emails that I just thought, no, no. I don't buy this. Um, and, and that there were nothing like what you're describing, which what, what you're describing is all well within the bounds of, of what we've heard about on the show before. And your experience is your experience. You know, uh, the stuff that I disclu- that I haven't included again, which is very little over the years is mostly stuff that sounds like this person's watched a lot of horror movies, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the ghost wielded a knife or some shit like that. It's stuff, stuff like that. But, but that is harrowing. Mm. That is a, a and a, and, a, and a real escalation too, you know. To to have it go from uh, from just waking up in the night and strange feelings and seeing this thing to having it actually like scar her in a way. Mm. It reminded me of that story that Greg Newkirk posted about a few years back. Was it was it Newkirk or was it someone else who had been scratched when they were doing an investigation?
1: It might have been Greg. I think that was when they were collecting items for their haunted. Museum, wasn't it?
0: Maybe. I thought they were doing an investigation. So anyways, it doesn't matter. Point being, they were in this place. He felt kind of funny. And then a little while later, he looked under his shirt and he had been scratched underneath the shirt. Mm. I I think that the fact it's blistering is interesting. Yeah. You know, because we talk a lot about, again, about light and, you know, John Keel obviously used to talk about these certain UFOs being creatures of the ultraviolet. Yeah you know, they were only visible, maybe even they only existed in the ultraviolet spectrum. And of course, people who, who often witnessed these things and got really close to them were afflicted with almost like a radiation sickness. Mm. And I kind of wonder, you know, if, uh, that's how you could possibly explain the, the blistering. Also extreme cold can cause blistering. Oh shit. Of course. I, I don't think I knew that actually. So there we go. So yeah, extreme heat or extreme cold, one, one or the other.
1: But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a deeply disturbing encounter.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Annie. The Blip Years ago I worked for a large government agency in Mountain View, California. It was a great job with an awful commute. 25 miles took an hour to drive. One of the great perks of the job was a reasonably priced canteen where you could sit down and have breakfast before things got hectic. So I often left home even earlier than most people might. Usually I left around 5.45 a.m., But this one morning my old alarm clock finally packed it in and I woke up at 6.45. There was going to be no breakfast that day and my boss was going to chew my ass out. It didn't matter how many days you came in early, if you came in late once he came down hard, cornering you at your desk and loudly dressing you down for a good five minutes. I was going to be at least, at least an hour and a half late. Bay Area traffic was bad even back then, especially on 101 heading north out of San Jose. The later you leave, the more clogged the freeways. I had to wait at one metered ramp for ten whole minutes, biting my nails and worrying about work. I turned on my usual AM station, KGO, so that I could get traffic updates. In twenty minutes I had gone maybe four miles. Jesus Christ, that sounds awful. Forty minutes later I had to come off the freeway, jump three lanes left and hit a turn lane with a protected arrow. The whole time I was hearing updates on the time and traffic. As I merged into the cloverleaf I heard a pop of air pressure, almost like when a storm rolls in. Now here's when it gets strange because I hit the cloverleaf, sighed and braced for the merge. There was no traffic. Not one car. It was totally quiet. I noticed the sky was darker and wondered if there was actually a storm coming. The turn light went green and I drove the remaining six or so blocks to work. When I got there it was darker still. And the gate guard barely glanced at me. I was used to seeing the same guard every day and at least saying hello but this guy looked wrong. Like imagine if you pulled someone out of 1950 and plunked them down in a mall. Even if there was nothing obvious like a flat screen tv in their line of sight they'd still pick up on just enough detail to know that something wasn't normal. This was like that and it hit me so hard that I watched him in my rearview mirror as long as I could. He never moved or went back in the little guard shack. This next bit is the strangest part. As I pulled into the parking lot, my car radio went silent and everything shifted. Have you ever been blindfolded and spun around? You get dizzy, right? It was like that. Everything was subtly different. The lot was empty. I sat there for a minute with my mouth open trying to figure out if I had lost my mind. Then my car radio suddenly blasted back on and I heard the KGO announcer say, Good morning, Bay Area. It's 6.29 and traffic is still light. We'll have updates in one minute, but first, here's our weather outlook. I checked every station. It was the same. My watch said 8.29. Where did the time go? And did I really want to find out? The rest of the day went on normally, but I never forgot it. And I got to say the most horrifying part about that and really any story we've told on today's show was the fact that it it took 10 minutes to drive four miles. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's heinous. I am so happy. I don't have to commute, Paul.
1: Yeah. Well, I walk to work when I go.
0: Yeah. Same here. When I was, when I was working for the consulting company back way back, I would, I don't know, it was like a 20 minute walk to work. Fine. The second most horrifying thing has to be the boss. Yeah. Because
1: most of the sociopaths I've met have been in in professional settings.
0: I believe it. Absolutely. That environment selects for it, I think. Hmm. They're in veterinarians' offices. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have heard more stories about uh, vets assistants and vet techs cutting the legs out from under each other than I have almost any other profession. And maybe I just happen to know a lot of contentious vet techs, I don't know. But <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I've heard this a number of times, so I, I don't know what I don't know what the common denominator is there, but uh
1: what do you think about the story? I think the key aspect of that is that pop.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: It's almost as if something or or for some reason that someone was looking down on them. In in whatever context you want to take that in and rewarded them with a uh an extra couple of hours.
0: Interesting. That's a very almost Christian uh, sort of uh, take on it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm surprised I've said it myself.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, well,
1: it could be, it could be a time slip. Could be, but I think it because it's such a a well explained experience. You know, they were running late. They were stressed. They were worried. There was problems you know the last thing they wanted to do was you know have their ass chewed off for five minutes in the office in front of everybody and made to feel like a piece of shit for no reason you know you can't you can't help it if technology fails you um, and to to get there and and have that weird experience of seeing someone that just doesn't look right and yeah. getting there And so, I mean the realisation I think we've all had experiences in our lives where we go somewhere and it's eerily quiet and it just doesn't feel right but the fact oh, sure. that this happens halfway through the journey is a very interesting aspect of it. And then you have the, the resonation of the radio sort of shocking you back into reality and thinking, hang on a minute, how's this happened?
0: It raises so many interesting questions about the nature of how such a thing would work, mm-hmm. you know, because you wonder what happens to the memory of people who saw this person, Yeah, you know, on the freeway. But, but then I guess, you know, you and I have talked about this before, this idea that, by and large, most people are not looking around them. Yeah. You know, you you can, you can march through your day and reasonably assured that most people are just not seeing you. Mm. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe this kind of shit happens more than we think it does, but we're just not paying attention. It doesn't, it never occurs to us that to even care that we saw the same vehicle twice. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: You know, I, I remember one time years ago, years and years ago, I was on a road trip with my friends and it was one of my first road trips. And I, at the time I was driving a, a 1987 Toyota Camry. so a, mm. a fine automobile. And we were driving on the stretch of road down in the US and we looked across this field and there was another stretch of road that was very, looked very similar to the one we were on. I'm sure it was just a, a different one, but driving parallel to us was another 1987 maroon Camry. <laughs> and, uh, we were joking to each other, you know. Those are the successful versions of us. They got, you know, girlfriends <laughs> who uh, think they're the, the greatest shit on earth. You know, they got great jobs and we're sort of the, the shitty uh, nightmare version.
1: <laughs> I think the kicker to that story is the fact that the watch still told the, the time that it should have. Yes, that is really interesting. So does it, does that, whatever happened, not work on
0: clockwork? Or did it just forget the watch, whatever it was? <laughs> Well, see, stuff like that makes me think there's less of a conscious element to it. <laughs> but then of course, you know, what are the odds that someone's going to be specifically delivered to the exact time and place they need to be unless there is a conscious element to it?
1: Yeah, Or a trickster.
0: Could be that too. Yeah. Uh, left, having... left
1: the watch just for shits and giggles. <laughs>
0: yeah. Having just watched season three of Loki or episode or episode three of Loki, you know, I, I see the possibilities here. <laughs> Yeah, no, that I, a really, really interesting story. I, I'm fascinated by that stuff because it, more so than when spirits turn up in a bedroom or, or you know, you see a shadow person, this really bends the rules of the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated by that because when I dug this story out of the internet, um, the person who had submitted it, you know, I, I erased the most of the identifying details, but, um, you know, this person was a very, very science-oriented person. So, you know, they were really interested to understand the mechanics of what had happened, but we're at completely a loss to understand what that was. All I know is that uh, the next time I'm late for something, which, I mean, right now there's nothing to be late for, but when that happens, by God, Loki better be watching out for me. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. Stuttgart from Helen. In
1: 2011, a colleague and I were heading out to Stuttgart for a work course. And we were pretty excited as we very rarely got the chance to leave the country on business. We flew from London to Stuttgart late in the afternoon and we got to our hotel around 10pm. From the outside it looked to be a grand estate with what can only be described as a 70s boxy hotel extension added on. We were excited to be there but keen to be up early feeling fresh so we checked in and parted company on the first floor corridor to our rooms. That's the second floor for you guys in the US. Katie, my colleague, was heading towards the newer end of the hotel and I had a room right at the top of the stairs in the original house. It was a small cosy room with a single bed and a small desk. I was shattered, so quickly got ready for bed, set my alarm and put my rucksack, which had my work laptop in, on the armchair near the head of the bed. I got into bed and fell straight asleep. I slept well, which is unusual for the first night in a strange bed, only waking once. I remember rolling over, so I ended up facing the armchair, and I looked up to see a lady in what looked like traditional period housekeeping uniform, standing behind it, folding napkins or pillowcases or something on the back of the chair. She was picking them up, folding them into quarters, and putting them in a tidy pile on top of the headrest of the chair, and she was looking at me, smiling not in a creepy way but in a kind calm way and for that reason i didn't feel frightened or scared our eyes met i felt a sense of calm and i fell back to sleep in the morning i would have totally forgotten about the experience if it wasn't for the fact that my rucksack which i had placed on that very same chair the night before was now stood upright on the floor like someone had picked it up off the chair and placed it there I got up, still keen to get to my course on time, showered, dressed, put my rucksack back on the chair and met Katie for breakfast. We chatted and looked around the breakfast buffet to see if we could spot fellow people from our company who would be joining us on the course. I then decided to tell Katie about my weird dream because that was what I was telling myself it was. She looked a bit shocked and was also surprised about how casual I was about it. When she asked me about what I did with the rucksack, I said, well, I put it back on the chair, of course. To which she said, what are you going to do if it's back on the floor? And I laughed. We ate breakfast and headed back to our rooms to grab what we needed for the day before being picked up at the hotel. I remember opening my hotel door, wondering what I was going to see. And of course, you've guessed it. The bag was back on the floor. Luckily, all I needed was in that bag. So I grabbed it, shouted see you later and headed straight out to meet the bus. I stayed another two nights in that room and nothing else happened. Of course the rucksack stayed off the chair and I didn't see the lady housekeeper again. I have googled the hotel to see if anyone else has experienced anything similar and nothing has come up, so I do remain sceptical. Maybe it was a dream, maybe my rucksack was top heavy and rolled on its own, who knows? But I do remember it not being a scary experience. I almost wanted her to appear again. And that, for me, that made it feel more real. I'm always astounded when something like that happens and someone thinks that their rucksack somersaulting (laughs) quietly twice and landing the right way up is an explanation for what's happened.
0: Dancing backpacks, are they in your schools?
1: For me, I think that the housekeeper was just annoyed that she'd had the audacity to put that rucksack on her chair where she was folding her pillowcases or napkins or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And actually, last thing, the uh, on the subject of German hotels, it, it reminds me of when I was in uh, Frankfurt. I, mm. and I, I was going to fly out of Frankfurt Hahn Airport, which if, if anyone here knows Frankfurt, you know that it is absolutely nowhere near Frankfurt Hahn Airport. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scenic.
0: Yes, very. So I wanted to, the the shuttle going out to Frankfurt han picks up or used to at least pick up at the train station. Hmm. And so I booked a hotel near to the train station, which I did not realize was smack in the middle of their red light district. <laughs> There's a theme developing here with your troubles. <laughs> yes, yes I, I don't think I rec- maybe I recorded it. The, the, the patrons will get the story of my first visit to Juarez, Mexico. Um, <laughs> shortly after the the cartel war kicked off, but um, anyways, so I, I get off the train, start walking. To my, or it was a trainee. I get off the train, start walking to my my hotel, and I very quickly realize, oh, I've passed another grubby nightclub. I've passed another grubby strip bar. This is a bad place to be. And I'll never forget this toothless Russian woman kept trying to coerce me into her nightclub. <laughs> And it was just the most terrifying thing because she's like grabbing my arm. Like, come inside. Girls, very pretty. No, 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 no. I, I got to go. Girls, pretty, pretty girls. No, Jesus Christ. I, if I go in there, I'm not coming back out. My, my <laughs> organs will come back out at different times. I'm not coming out of there. <laughs> and so ultimately, I, I managed to get away using that, that, that time-honored trick of there are people waiting for me, which you know, subtly implies they will notice if I go missing. <laughs> you hope. You hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like magic words she released my arm and I, I was able to continue up my my day but man the hotel I ended up in there was this mystery red stain on the landing of the stairs. <laughs> and it, it had those lights that we're really only just getting here now but basically the whole hallway doesn't turn on until someone's in it. Yes. And this place was eh, it was a little 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 down down at heel so uh once you open your door and stepped into the hallway it took a second or two for the lights to turn on. <laughs> So you were completely exposed in the darkness for, you know, three to five seconds. And I just, I went out long enough to buy a case of beer and a couple sandwiches. And I holed up in that hotel room, getting drunk, afraid to leave the rest of the night. And I actually built like this makeshift burglar alarm in front of the, basically just a bunch of bottles precariously piled in front of the door. I don't know what I thought that was going to accomplish. At least I'd be awake when they killed me. I don't know. But, uh. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, we've got those lights in my office and uh, um, I I occasionally run around like I'm trying to avoid a wasp or something just to make sure they all come on.
0: (laughs) Of course you do. Of course you do.
1: (laughs) Just so, you know, you're not making a a hot drink in in twilight because
0: that's just asking for trouble. The Green Monster The incident that I'm going to relate took place 10 years ago in eastern Canada and has been bothering me ever since. I sleep in the same room as I did when I was 10 but the layout has since changed. When this story takes place my bed was in the corner of the room so the headboard was against one wall and the right side was against the other. At the foot of my bed was an armoire which was not pushed against the wall because there was an electrical outlet behind it which my lamp plugged into. The armoire was maybe 4 or 5 inches away from the wall. The door to my room is in the corner, farthest from the bed. Also there is a street lamp right outside my window, so even at night my room is never very dark. When I was a kid I would never close my eyes while waiting to fall asleep. I don't really know why. I would lie in my bed listening to books on tape and staring at the ceiling. But after what I saw that night when I was 10, I always kept my eyes tightly shut. The first thing that happened was I heard a soft creak. And looked to see one of the doors of my armoire opening gently, and then closing just the same. At this point, I was not afraid. I was actually oddly calm, considering how nervous of a child I was. I remember thinking it must have been the wind, which makes no sense because even if the wind could have done that, my window was closed. Then I saw it—a monster or creature or something. I don't know. In the space between my armoire and the wall I saw a face. It was green with red eyes and horribly fat red lips. It had a very skinny body with long arms. The body was humanoid. Its head was very round and looked smooth. I did nothing for a moment but then it gave me this terrible grin and I bolted from my room all the way down to the basement where my father was working and told him. Of course he couldn't find anything, told me it was just a nightmare and made me go back to bed. I would be tempted to also believe it was just a dream, but there are three reasons I know it can't have been. Firstly, my vision was not terrible at that age, but I did need glasses, which I obviously didn't wear to bed. When I saw that thing, it was visible but just a tiny bit blurry, and no dream I've had, no matter how realistic, has replicated my vision without glasses. Secondly, I never woke up. When I have a bad dream and I wake up from it, it takes me a few minutes to reorient myself, realize that it was a dream and that everything's okay. There was no transition like that. I saw the thing and ran. I never woke up. Thirdly and lastly, I mentioned that I fell asleep listening to audiobooks. Well, I continued to hear my audiobook playing smoothly through the whole event, not stopping or distorting like I know it would have in a dream. After that, I never saw the thing again, although I had nightmares about it, for the next year. Yep, yeah, I would too. Goodness me, that's just... And it seems kind of similar to some of the, um... I think we had just had a story recently about kind of a green scaly monster. Yes. So that's yet another vote. And, and I think, if I recall correctly, when Shannon had a guest on on Into the Fray a couple of years back, he had sort of a nighttime intruder and it was almost like a little imp type figure, but it was also scaly and green if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you said, the, the, the skeptic, oh, well, you, you've had a bad dream and, and you've repurposed it to some kind of fractured memory. But, once again, you have technology acting as a tether to reality. With the fact oh, that it's the audio. Such a great audio, way to put it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the audio never changed. Mm. The idea of technology acting as a kind of tether is interesting because I, I think we would sort of come to depend on that mm. in a way. You know, like like in in the story from um, I believe it was from Annie, mm. where you know she went to go turn on the light and it didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, that, that's that's actually a really scary idea because we come to expect things like the lights to just work.
2: Yeah. You
0: know, unless you're from, from some kind of country with an unreliable power grid, which happens, hmm. you would just, you know, the electricity on command is one of the things we become accustomed to. Hmm. And I, it reminds me of the time, something weird was happening in my apartment. And usually one of the things that kind of connects me to the world is, is, you know, cause I always have it, my phone. Hmm. You know, so I'll, I'll, at least I can get a hold of someone if if something's wrong. So something felt weird and off. So I pulled up my phone and I had no signal whatsoever. Mm. No explanation. And usually in my apartment, you know, I have not a problem getting any signal, but for whatever reason, for the next five minutes, I had no connection to the outside world. And it was, it was uh, uh, on its own. It's not a big deal. You know, I've been out of self-service before. But coupled with that strange feeling like I wasn't alone, it was really scary. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they want, whatever they are. That could be too. I, I, I guess I always forget that it's possible there's a trickster element to these things. Mm. You know, I always just assume it's, it's just a thing that's happening to, for the sake of something happening. But if there's a trickster element at work, then yeah, that's, it's very possible because I mean, what would a trickster do, but confuse you as to the nature of its visit?
1: Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I've heard certain people who who work on the principle of that perhaps these things feed off fear.
0: Sure, yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that before.
1: And I, uh, I think if a green skin monster popped up in my room, giving me a, a funny grin, I'd be a little frightened, to say the least.
0: Yep, yep. To say, well, I don't know. You know, I wonder if maybe the full body apparition—if that might be like tipping its hand too much. <laughs> maybe that works for someone who's a, who's like a young woman. But I feel like if it was you or me, I think we'd probably just rush the thing. (laughs) You know?
1: Well, you you never know how you can react as as I'm sure, you know, when we were having a, a chat the other week, we were talking about how you deal with stressful situations. And it is surprising sometimes how some people you expect to react in certain ways just go complete
0: opposite to what you perceive they will do. I've heard that your experience with mental health can really affect how you deal with crisis. Like if you are, apparently the data bears this out. If you are, if you struggle with mental, with mental health stability issues, you're actually better in a crisis. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Bring on the apocalypse. I'll be fine.
0: <laughs> well, we're in it. So we're we oh, seem to be doing okay. So no
1: wonder I've been so happy those last couple of years. <laughs> in Missouri. This event occurred when I was between the ages of five and six. My mother and I lived in a new mobile home out in the country in southeastern Missouri. I was on my bedroom floor, playing a game, and my mother was in the bathroom across the hall, fixing her hair and putting on makeup. I had the urge to look up at my bedroom doorway, and when I did, I saw this thing looking at me, peeking its ugly head around the corner of my bedroom door. I can only describe it as being a werewolf looking man wearing blue overalls with a red and black flannel shirt under them. I didn't scream, cry or call for my mother, I didn't even tell her about it. It wasn't my imagination or a dream, it was very real. Also, one other thing I would like to mention around that period of time in my life, I had these reoccurring dreams that I often had for several years. In these dreams, I would always visit this elderly couple, husband and wife, in their home. They had a two-story white home. It was always exactly the same in every dream, and the elderly husband and wife were always the same in every dream. They would visit with me in their home for a while, and even cook me meals to eat. I have no idea who these people were, but when I would awake from these dreams, I would wake up in such a good mood, feeling loved and happy. I cannot explain it at all. I visited them in their home in my dreams for years growing up, and it has been many more years since they visited. I wish I could have those dreams again to feel the love and happiness they left me with after I woke up.
0: So th- that's really interesting. And because I, I, we've got two different things there we've been talking about for a while, we've got the basically the plaid people. Yes turning up I mean this is obviously you know a strange werewolfy type plaid thing but it was still the same idea and then we've also got this notion of a place you go in dreams and I mean it's it's of course always just possible that um, you know that they dream of it's just a comforting dream their brain cooked up but it reminds me of one of the missing 411 stories I read a long time ago and it, I think hmm. it's in the very first book I want to say the eastern United States there was one of the kids who went missing who came back And said that they stayed in a, I'm pretty sure it was a couple's house overnight. And they said that they were looked after and they slept there and they were warm and they were fed. And then in the morning they were sent on their way and they found their way back to the rescuers. Mm -hmm. But of course there's no house in those woods. (laughs) And you know, it it just, it makes me think again about these places that are not really places, but places that move. Yeah. You know, or, or maybe exist in a way that we don't really properly understand. Actually, as good time as any, I I talked on, I think it was this show. It might've been, I'm pretty sure it was this show. It might've been the sunken library, but I talked about, um, this dream I have where I'm, I'm walking along the beach with a group of people and I've had it off and on over the years, but the dream is very similar. We're always walking together along this beach, Hmm. but we all know we're dreaming and we're all really surprised that the dream has held together for as long as it has. Hmm. And we try not to think too much about being in a dream because we know that'll puncture it and we just want to enjoy spending time together a little longer. Yeah. And I was contacted by a listener and, um, I'm just going to pull it up here because this, this kind of broke my brain a little bit. This came from Haley and Haley says, I'm a podcast listener and I just finished listening to the episode about remote viewing slash Pennsylvania. So this must have be, this must be maybe, uh, the bonus episode. Interesting that again, that's come around again, mm. but she said, I too have a strange habit of stumbling across and seeking out dream locations in real life. I also have a beach dream where everyone knows they're dreaming in mine. I don't recognize anyone. There's a beach house that we all eventually wander down the beach towards. It's nothing fancy, but it does open right into the sand with long white curtains and a sandy wooden deck. That's so polished by wind and sand that it shines. When you were talking about your beach stream, I got that weird stomach drop excitement feeling and felt like I needed to tell you about the house. I don't know why I need to tell you, but I try not to ignore those nudges. And it's really fascinating because in my dreams, I've also been to a house. Mm. At, at, on the beach, at the end of the walk. And I, the bits I recall do sound similar to what Haley is describing. Mm. And she expanded on a little bit. She said, uh, she can remember the beach and from what she can remember. It's empty of people, which is similar to my recollections. And, and she, so I, am not going to read it all cause I realize it might not be very interesting if you don't know the, the, the location, but she goes on to describe it. And it's very similar to, to my own experiences hmm. and just really makes me wonder. Cause I, I don't know Haley at all, aside from these messages. Yeah. But it does seem like we've kind of both come to this place that's not really a place. Mm. And then I, I just happened to have a conversation last night or night before last with a woman I, I went to, really a woman I grew up with, mm. and we were talking about Revelstoke. And of course, I came on your show once to talk mm. about the this second topography of Revelstoke, yeah, or the the, the topography of dreams in Revelstoke. And it just so happened, I, I, this came up in conversation and she told me something very similar. She often dreams about traveling parts of the area that are not there anymore. They're, they're say flooded by the dam Mm. and have been that way since long before she was born. But somehow she's in this place and she knows that it is a real place that she's at. It's just not a place that's there anymore. Hmm. Again, I, I don't. I don't necessarily have a, a point I'm working towards, but I just more and more examples of this of this notion that uh, it may be easier to pass into maybe these liminal spaces than, than we than we think it is.
1: The other overriding thing of that is is the the is the feeling that the person has of of happiness and warmth.
0: Yeah, and like I said, in that missing four one one story, that little child who whoever it was, I can't remember if it was a boy or girl, but. They said they felt the same. They, they, they felt like cared for and protected.
1: There's a couple of those kind of stories that are really weird. There's one from the Devil's Den State Park where a girl went, disappeared for six days and she was found. Absolutely. She just stepped out of a cave and said, hello, I'm here. Wow. And she didn't have a, a midge bite on her or anything. She was, you know, a little bit bedraggled, but she was, she was fine. She'd been in the woods on her own for six days, dressed in a swimsuit
0: and flip flops. Jesus Christ. I sat outside for, I don't know, half an hour last night and I got bitten by mosquitoes.
1: <laughs> and then of course you have the famous Casey Hathaway story from the other year in North Carolina who, who disappeared and told everybody he was looked after by a, a bear. Right. Looked after by a bear.
0: That is yeah. fascinating.
1: Yeah, of course it was.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm thinking, right? Like it, it's, it's going to look, I think there's a situation where the kid saw what he, you know, it's like a bear is the closest thing.
1: Well, yeah, of course, because, you know, there is absolutely no, sadly, there is no possible way that a bear would suddenly <laughs> discover its, its mothering incident, instincts, especially because it's winter as well when that happened. Right. Um, they were expecting them to be found frozen to death, and they found him in the middle of a bush.
0: Huh. And he came through the whole thing fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks to the bear looking after him.
0: Man, the world is a strange place, Paul, and I I just kind of love it. The Recovering Catholic From Tony My first paranormal experience happened back in 1996. I was a freshman at LSU, and my roommate and some friends decided to try the Ouija board. We were skeptical at first. I mean, we bought the thing at Kmart in the toy department. How real could it be? But we lit some candles and said a prayer of protection just in case. First we contacted my roommate's grandfather whom none of us had ever met. She wasn't touching the board so she asked him to prove it was really him and the board spelled out C-O-R-P-S. It just stopped after that. My roommate explained that he had been in the US Marine Corps and we decided that must have been his way of proving it was truly him on the other side. But Jesus we were freaked out. Next we contacted my great grandmother. She was an old Sicilian lady and just the cutest but also kinda scary. During the course of our session, she told me the initials of the man I would marry, the year I was going to get married, and also how many kids I would go on to have. All of the information ended up being correct. I met my husband almost two years after that. Sure enough, exact initials she had said. We got married the year she said we would, and had two kids. Weird. She abruptly ended the session when the planchette kept repeatedly moving to goodbye. I asked her if we were in danger, and the thing practically flew to yes. We closed out the board and I've never touched one since. The second story I'm still kind of messed up about. Around 12 years ago I got really into an evangelical church. You see I'm a recovering catholic, went to catholic school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade and I'm in New Orleans which is very heavily catholic. Anyway, after Katrina I was kind of lost spiritually as you can imagine and I found my way to this church. I loved it, I got super into it and eventually they put me on the prayer team. That's when shit got weird. I once saw what I believed to be some sort of demon during a service. I noticed a lady on the other side of the room and occasionally her face would change from normal to this horrible, horrible image. Like her skin was melting off. Dude, you can't unsee that shit. I experienced the feeling of swallowing something once while praying over someone. It was like the darkness that was on them entered me. I had to have someone pray for me after that. I had quite a few other experiences, but I drew the line when I eventually brought something home with me and even my daughter picked up on it. I would hear scratching and growling and the smell, good lord, the smell. Not to get too New Orleans on you, but it was like the smell you would get from leaving your crawfish boil trash outside, in the heat, for weeks. But like 100 times worse. It just smelled like death. My daughter could smell it too. I commanded it to leave our home and it did, thanks sweet baby Jesus. But I ended up leaving that church. I just wasn't ready for all that and felt like I got thrown into it without proper training and support. Thank you for sharing that, Tony. The idea that she felt something leave a person when she was you know working with them uh, as part of the prayer team, I was just talking to my landlady a couple of days ago and her uh, she had to put her little dog down and oh. uh, yeah it was it was really sad. Um, it, yeah, he was a cute little guy, but she was saying that after they pushed the the second, the second shot that stops his heart, she said she felt something move through her and, mm-hmm. she, and she's not a religious person at all, Yeah, but she, she said, I just felt something pass through my face. And you know, she, she mentioned it to the, to the vet tech and the vet tech said, um, she said, yeah, she said that happens. And she said, we really do think it's, it's their spirit leaving the body and moving on. Mm. And coincidentally, I, I was watching that um, HBO documentary on the Comedy Store last week. Hmm. And they had probably one of my favorite stories of, of this kind of thing. And it was about the comedian Sam Kinison. Yes. And you know, of course, the, the famous story of him dying. Yeah. You know? and, and for our listeners who don't know, Sam Kinison was, was a very famous comedian from the, the 80s. And um, just as his life was sort of starting to turn around, Uh, he was in a very serious car accident and his best friend went to his side and he he was holding him afterwards and and he said he didn't seem that banged up considering what had happened Mm -hmm. but sam was talking to somebody and it wasn't him and he said uh basically why now why like things were going good why now and his friend told him, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And it was at that point he realized that that Sam wasn't talking to him. He was looking at something he couldn't see.
2: Mm.
0: And he said this look of understanding came over his face and he went, oh, okay. And he just died. And this guy said exactly the same thing. He said he felt something move through him. Mm. He said, I've never experienced anything like that. And I've never heard that part of the story before until this interview, but he said, I felt something pass through my face and I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Hmm. And so those are, I mean, those are inspiring stories in a way, but it makes me think of what, what, um, Tony experienced and how sort of in in like the, the, the inverse of that, the negative version of that, when she was trying to clear that person. And it sounds like the same thing, except something unpleasant moved mm-hmm. through her. And, and obviously, in, in cases like that, they can be sticky and, and kind of hang around. So it, it, it does sound like you got thrown in the deep end there, Tony, and I'm glad you came out of it okay. Fat Cat and Bean,
1: from Mary. Before I begin this story, there are two things that I should note. First, my childhood bedroom was isolated from the rest of the house on one side of a long hallway. Right outside my door were two doors, one to the laundry room and one to the attic. To the left of these doors was a door to an empty room which connected to my bedroom and the door to the basement. As an only child raised by a single dad, things could feel pretty lonely but luckily I had my two cats, Fat Cat and Bean. This brings me to my second note. Fat Cat and Bean did not get along. Even though Fat Cat had been my first cat, Bean was, is, my baby through and through, and God forbid her mum show anyone else attention. Talking to Fat Cat, and especially petting her, would infuriate Bean, and she would refuse to be near me until her anger subsided. When I was a teenager, I had my bed against the wall closest to the door, so that at the end of my bed, Was almost touching the door jamb. I slept with the door closed and locked. To open the door, all I had to do was crawl to the end of my bed where I could reach the handle. This was convenient, as Bean and Fat Cat sometimes wanted to come into my room late at night, waking me from my sleep by jumping at the handle or clawing at the door. Because of this, I wasn't at all surprised when late one night I heard these familiar sounds and let Bean into the room. She looked off, not scared exactly, but the way a cat looks when they randomly just run around the house at high speed, kind of wild-eyed. I thought nothing of it, and settled back down to go to sleep. A few minutes later, I was disturbed again by the sound of scratching at the door, but this time accompanied by Fat Cat's panicked wailing. I don't know if you've heard a cat cry in fear or pain, but this is exactly what Fat Cat was doing, and I began to grow concerned. Upon opening the door, I saw that Fat Cat was also wild-eyed, and she darted into the room. As she lumbered onto the bed and I soothed her, I wondered how soon it would be before Bean would demand that I let her out, angered that I would dare show Fat Cat affection. But it never happened. Instead, Bean settled herself across my chest, laying so that her tail and paw stretched from shoulder to shoulder, Fat Cat chose to settle down on one of my arms, the two of them effectively pinning me to the bed and against the wall. This was odd. As I mentioned previously, these two never got along, so for them both to be cuddling with me seemed like a weird miracle. Despite this, I decided to just enjoy the moment and go to sleep. I don't know how much time passed, but it was not long before I realised why my cats were behaving in such an odd manner. Something began to scratch outside my door and jiggle the handle. At first, I thought it was one of the cats, but no. They were still in the same spot I had left them. I started to get up to see what the noise was, but both cats seemed to make themselves heavier and dug their claws into me. Not painful, but they made their point. It was at that moment that the noise became more intense, almost violent. Something slammed against the door and then slid to the floor, shaking the door on its hinges. Over and over again, this thing, whatever it was, slammed itself against the door and slid to the floor, all the while shaking the locked handle. I wanted to know what it was. I felt I needed to know what it was, and I tried to get up a second time, but no avail thanks to the cats. Yes, I could have easily gotten them to get off me, but it was the way they were holding me down, saying, no, no, you're safe behind the door. My curiosity finally died down and waited for it to stop. When it did, Fat Cat and Beans stayed on my arm and chest and I was able to sleep for the rest of the night undisturbed. I still have no idea what that was, and I don't know if I want to, what would have happened if I'd opened the door?
0: So, I mean, that might be the most startling or stark example we've had of, of cats actually protecting someone. Yeah. Question is, what were they protecting them from? Well, that's the thing. I mean, that is some genuinely scary shit. Mm. And I, I, I wonder in situations like that, what happens when you open the door? Yep. Do you really see something or like, I wonder sometimes if, if these things provoke a physical event, mm. you know, for example, you open the door and, you know, obviously we're not going to see someone, we're not going to find someone torn in half by a monster or something, but yeah. you know, you maybe have a, a stroke or a heart attack or, yeah. you know, um. faint and bang hope, your head. Or that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he'll mind me talking about this, but I, I know someone, uh, I'll be very circumspect. I know someone who, who survived a very, very serious illness a few years back. And just before it really, just before it was diagnosed, I remember them being told by someone who's very sensitive to these things. They said, uh, when you get home, you should smudge because I, I, it's, it feels like you got slimed by something pretty bad. Mm. And My friend, I remember them saying at the time they were out at a function at a dinner with someone or something, but I think both them and their partner felt kind of ill that night. And then this person told them, yeah, you should, should cleanse yourself. You both got slimed by something pretty, pretty bad. And I, I'm certain it was within a week or two that the symptoms, which would lead to the discovery of the illness, uh, happened Mm -hmm. or began. You know, and and I I do think that these things have a knock on effect. I mean, I don't not that I think every boo boo is caused by Satan, yeah. But I do think that there are times when, yeah, you know, as you say, like you fall and hit your head, or or the the subtle world exerts its will on the physical in ways that we might not expect.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that the other aspect of that is that whatever it is and wherever it came from had a physicality to it that it couldn't get through the door wherever it was and that's an yeah. interesting aspect to it because if it's something paranormal or monstrous why is a door protecting it what, what is the barrier there why, why can't it get through why does it need the door to be opened
0: to me that raises a lot of questions that we come across with this stuff as mm-hmm. to the power of symbolism yep you know the, the power of a closed door Because we think of the world so often as as strictly rational, Mm -hmm. you know, a door is a door is a door. Oh, if it's, if it's not a physical thing then it can pass through a door, why is it a problem? But there may be a kind of uh, invisible symbolism inherent Mm -hmm. in a closed, in an unintentionally closed door. Yeah. But because again, we, we're so. Condition to think of things in, in sort of a, a firm, like a firm three-dimensional way. I wonder if we just miss it. You know, like, I think about that sometimes when, you know, you hear stories about um, like, like stairs, you, you hear footsteps on stairs and it doesn't matter yeah. where they are, you know, and, and there's no history of haunting, but there's footsteps on stairs or there's weird shit around stairs. And I wonder sometimes if the way stairs are, if the function of stairs is there's something about their angle Mm. Which just is just enough to 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 be off, you mm. know. That imparts on them a different characteristic that we cannot perceive with our eyes. Mm. Because I think sometimes when we talk about like the white light and shit, yeah, you know, it, it seems so corny to me to mm. say, "Well, just you know, imagine your room filling up with a white light." Because ultimately, what are you doing there? You're doing fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're yeah. like. That'd be like me saying, you know, in my head, I'm giving myself an Iron Man suit. You know, it, it doesn't mean dick, yeah. but I wonder if there is a greater connectivity. And I think this actually even, um, connects back to what you and I were talking about earlier with, with, uh, places like the, the, the house with the old folks in it. Mm-hmm. If there is a greater relationship between the world, between our ears and the outside world, then we have been raised to believe.
1: Yeah. And I would always err on the side of caution when an animal responds in such a way that I would tend to follow their lead.
0: Oh, yeah. If you've got two different cats pinning you to the bed, that is, that is a sign, you, honey, you don't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. Stay here.
0: <laughs> yeah. My cat's probably going to open the door for the thing. <laughs> Wouldn't share even his tuna with me. Fuck that guy. Take him. All right. So thank you so much, Mary. And Mary sent out, uh, sent in another story, which we're going to share on a future show. And if you have a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys.gmail.com is a place to send it. If you want to make it anonymous, you can. If uh, you wanted us to use your real name, we can do that too. Just let us know in the body of the email. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Again, we appreciate you trusting us with your stories. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with our Ghost Force Shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help.
1: We're not gonna try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well, Just how important mental health can be, it's never too
0: late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255.
1: In the UK, the number to call is 116-123, or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T. 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114.
0: However, bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. I genuinely we couldn't do it without you guys. We appreciate the hell out of you. And of course, I appreciate the hell out of you, Mr. Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Tell everyone what's, uh, what's coming up on your... Uh, your wonderful podcast.
1: Well, we've got uh, we've got some cryptozoology going on this week, talking about the uh, scientific methods behind how we can kind of drag it in from the fringes with uh, Carl Marshall from the center of Fortean Zoology. Um, oh, interesting. And then next week I've got the wonderful uh, Scottish-based parapsychologist, Evelyn Hollow, who people may have heard on the BBC for Battersea Poltergeist podcast, so she's going to be joining me for the first time um, next week, and then we've got a couple more spooky guests coming up, uh, talking about uh, a few terrifying haunted houses.
0: Fantastic! And congratulations, also you've uh, you've recently moved to a new platform, which has proved to be very very advantageous for you, which has felt wonderful.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's nice to be invited to join something else. So uh, yeah, it's <laughs> only totally talking about. Uh, Thirty-six thousand hours of work and uh, two years, but we-
0: <laughs> what the hell? What <laughs> are you going to do with that time, anyways? Watching football? Come on.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. As uh, if only I'd have taken up a hobby that didn't involve me getting stressed to lose my hair. Then, uh, <laughs> then life would be better for everyone, especially uh, just for men. Hair dye, probably at my age.
0: I love how we've, we've managed to find hobbies. Now, I mean, this has become my job now, but started as a hobby that actually take up as much, if not more time than our careers.
1: <laughs> well, the other day I was editing an episode of my partner. I said, aren't you watching the football? And I went, no, I've got an episode to edit. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what's happened to me? Who am I? Where is Paul gone?
0: <laughs> oh, responsibility gets us all in the end, Paul. I don't like it.
1: Yeah, I've been avoiding it for, for quite a while, but it had to catch up with me eventually.
0: So uh, where can everyone find you online?
1: Uh, you can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Uh, and, and obviously we'll now be shared on all podcast
0: apps through that. And obviously mysteriesandmonsters.com is the website. Fantastic. You can find me at Larger the Truth on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys, and on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. If you want to reach out, send us a story. Email's the best way to do it ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can send your comments, questions, anything like that. That's the place to do it. Or you can call The Ghost Line.
2: There's something strange.
0: one You can also text at 925-553-4789. Finally, if you want to join the Patreon team, patreon.com slash Guys is the way to do it. And we absolutely appreciate every single person, no matter how you contribute to the show. If you support us by listening, we appreciate that. If you support us financially, we appreciate that too. You get all kinds of cool stuff. There's bonus episodes, physical rewards, the monthly live movie night with me and Paul. There's tons uh, tons of stuff. Uh, we just dropped the latest uh, Q&A, the episode of Me and Paul, which is you know one of our patron series, and uh, that was just 90 minutes of me and Paul answering patron questions. So you get all of that at patreon.com slash guys. Again, that's patreon.com slash guys. Speaking of patrons, it's time we recognize Ghost Force.
2: That's right. If you're a patron at $20 and above, you get thanked in this part of the show, in this voice, because I started it, My God, I'm committing to it, and that's how it's gonna be. This time around, members of Ghost Force are... Atham Saragon Elisa Coppilla Amanda Strong Ashley Marsha Christopher Coons Dan Garrity Danielle Harris Emmer Berhurt Emmer 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 Berhurt A- Emma Barhart <laughs> Emmer Burt <Berhart. laughs> <laughs> Emmer Berhurt
0: Do you want to say Eric Abel and I'll say Emma Barheit <laughs> Emmer Barhart Oh Christ no.
2: It's
1: getting worse It's getting further call- away Let's call her Sarah. <laughs> yeah, go on, man.
2: <laughs> Eric Abel. Emma Barheight, Hannah Brown. Hannah Siemens. Holland Connor. Jackie McFarland. Jeanette Patterson. Jean Cupertino. Jennifer Petty. Julia Lugubrious. Just Julie. Jenna Blackwelder. Kimberly Hansen. Lumpy Rug. Mark Semler. Mary Rose WW. Peter Guns 08.5. Rhonda Sheen. Richard Easeby. You are the few. You are the proud. You are. Ghost Force. Special. Super special.
1: Very, very super special.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And again, thank you to everyone who, who supports us, but, but thanks especially to Ghost Forest. Our musical guest on this episode was Damn Good Liars, the song I'm Not a Psychopath. That's from their latest EP of the same name. That's brand new, and you can find them everywhere you stream their music. Our main theme, radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is, of course, The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. That's hexagram with two X's, not three. And you can find them anywhere you stream your music. And also, our musical guest from episode, I think, 110, The Revenants, we are helping Elliot from The Revenants get his music onto streaming platforms. Previously, it's only been available on Bandcamp. So if you liked the song Cracked Wide Open that you heard on 110, keep an eye on Spotify or your streaming platform of choice. And over time, we will be getting all of Elliot's 92 albums (laughs) 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 on there. So right now there are 14 in the process. Three are actually on the platform and uh, all 92 will eventually be there. I encourage you to check it out. He's an enormously talented dude with an incredible back catalog that kind of boggles my mind. So again, that'll be on streaming platforms everywhere in pieces uh, over time. As we get more and more of those albums online, I guess that's going to do it. Yep. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. But until then... Into the darkness we go. Day 425, he still thinks I am a watch. <laughs> what was that? Was that you or what? That was, that was at your end.
1: I don't know. Hang on. That was a bit Sounds spooky. Like... <laughs> oh God knows, there's nothing outside.
0: It sounded like a kettle or something or someone's scree- like a screeching of brakes.
1: Yeah. Well, I checked and there was nobody outside, so I don't know what's going on there.
0: Weird. Strange. All I have here is like a there's a helicopter, but that's it. (laughs) Or a lawnmower. Yeah, yeah, not not this time, thank God. They did that yesterday and the day fucking before. So you're not crazy for those reasons. (laughs) Good. I mean you're still on this call with me, so you're you're crazy, but you know.
1: (laughs) Crazy like a fox.
0: Someone's vibrating something upstairs. Got a fucking Harley Davidson motor on that thing, Jesus Christ! The next time, I
1: Christ Almighty, <laughs> I've hit a wall there.
0: It was not there for a good time
1: or a long time. No. Well, depends what floats the boat, I suppose. <laughs>
0: well, there is, there is that. There is that. <laughs> Which my lamp plugged into, Jesus Christ! So that's it's. It's so fascinating the idea of technology. Oh, is that you?
1: Yeah, my my alarm just decided to beep for no reason.
0: Oh, okay. It's a weird night, man. What is going on? Me and Paul looking on the bright side of life. Here at the end of the world.
1: Yes, thank you, Eric Idle. That's exactly what a werewolf would say. I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right. (laughs) now. I haven't heard
0: that one, but I love it.
1: (laughs) Clearly, you didn't go to school in in the UK. No. (laughs) It's one of those crap jokes we always get at Halloween.
0: No, all our all our childhood jokes revolved literally around homophobic slurs. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I, I actually went to school in
1: the Munsters. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, well, yeah, this is all just the things that happened in Paul's head. You know, spook Eddie. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's biker gangs having chain fights.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what does what does a vampire say when you buy him a birthday present? I don't know. Fangs a lot.
0: <laughs> oh, oh I, I feel bad for laughing at that. <laughs> oh boy, fangs for the memories. Mm. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! What the hell? Accidentally <laughs> turned on the fucking. What's going on, Shredder?
1: We're we in maximum open drive tonight.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Everybody, <there. laughs>
1: Jesus. Alright.